Good to see you this morning. Glad you came out. What a, a wild time to be on the planet when we're uh, having to work at coming together, but we're, we're together. You're doing it. I love that you're pressing on and, and hearing the Word. There's something about uh, being together and hearing the Word of God. The incorruptible seed. When it's sown, it grows up and it becomes. So it's amazing how uh, a lack of hearing the Word just makes you weak. So we want to be stronger and stronger and stronger. What a time, though. You've got messages, uh, all of Pastor Tony's messages you can probably upload. And you got YouTube. you got all kinds of uh, ways to hear the Word. Uh, how amazing that God got your technology together to where you could have church when people weren't having church. And then you had church out in the parking lot, <laughs> and I heard about your Easter service when it was nice and chilly and the wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour. Uh, I love that. That's about a, a gathering because he's raised from the dead. We, we can't help but be excited because he died for us. You know, people wonder why we're kind of crazy happy because uh, we know that we're not going to hell. We know that we're, we're blessed, that he gave his life for us. We can't help but be happy. Amen? I mean, if, if, if you're, if you're uh, uh, sad today, you need to meet Jesus. Come on, everything about him is joy. I hear these prayers, you know, they'll go, uh, they'll go, I really, you know, it's just really a rough time. I've been praying a lot. I go, no, you haven't. If you've been praying, you, you'll be happy. <laughs> well, that went over real good. Good night, everybody. Drive safely. Come on. <laughs> no, there's something about spending time with the Lord. Uh, it just lifts you up. In his presence is fullness of joy. And, you know, you can tell people need to have some joy right now. Just with what's going on in the world, they need to hang out with Jesus. Isn't it amazing he's been so uh, misinterpreted where he's the bad guy and he's the one bringing storms or bringing drama and he doesn't bring any drama. He brings life everlasting. Every good and every perfect thing comes from the Father of lights whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I, I, it's amazing how people have forgotten who's doing, doing what these days. The thief comes but for steal, kill, and destroy. If it's stealing from you, if it's killing you and destroying you, it's not the Lord. Amen. And it's not him training you either. Uh, the devil and the Lord didn't change their training methods. Amen. <laughs> he trains you through his word. And I've heard people say, well, I'm going through this storm. It's going to make me a better Christian. Going through a storm just reminds you that you don't want to go through a storm. Well, that one went over real good. I'll say it again. Uh, storms aren't designed to train you. They're designed to kill you. I'll say it again. <laughs> uh, Jesus rebuked them because they didn't speak to the storm. They said, come on, how come you didn't have any faith? You speak to it. Amen. So uh, your flavor here, uh, Pastor Tony, Pastor Jeanette, just being with you last year, I was so blessed to see how normal you are and your kids are so normal and your church is so normal. Uh, not that it's, uh, things are weird, but it just blesses you because normal is good. Amen. And I know God's got things for faith family. I know that this is just the beginning of great things uh, the, the pressure on the, on the church to back away from things, well, we're not going to back away from anything. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Greater is he that's in you than he is in this world. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So this is an end times conference, so what a perfect time to be learning of how close we are uh, to the coming of the Lord so that we'll know what we should do. In the Old Covenant, the Bible says that you had a whole tribe of Issachar that had an understanding of the times to know what the children of Israel ought to do. Indicating if you don't know what time it is, you won't know what you're supposed to do. So we're going to look at all the things in the next few days that show us how close we are. Specifically this morning we'll get into the signs of the coming of the Lord. And we'll see where we are. The signs are so clear. They're so concise. They're so easy to understand. There's no weirdness to them. There's no goofiness to them. They're all like, God said this, and this happened. <laughs> God said this, and this happened. And he said, this would happen in a certain period of time called the last of the last days. And you can thump your neighbor and go, you're living in the last of the last days. Once we, once we get into it, 
There's stuff that happened two weeks ago that I thought, dear Lord, I wouldn't see that. There's stuff that happened three weeks ago, stuff that happened last week that I was like, oh my God. So we'll get into all of it, and I won't go too fast because I want you to get it because oftentimes we're just shotgunning because there's so much information. But we have tonight and tomorrow night and the next night we can come back and, and get into the Word and because the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, and that's what we're doing. We're gathering. So let's pray. And uh, Colleen sends her greetings from Tulsa. Gosh, I think since I was with you, I've been a little bit all over the world, France, uh, Germany, maybe Norway. But uh, great to be with you. Uh, excited to be here in Omaha. I love the feeling of Omaha, of normal. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> so let's pray and we'll get right into the Word. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for dying for us. We're, we're in awe that you gave your life for us. We, we come this morning to worship you to magnify you, to glorify you. These songs that we sing, Lord, we, we sing them from our hearts because we're grateful. We have a gratitude that we're, uh, we're not lost, that we're, we're your children. So amazed we are that you let yourself be beaten and broken and you were raised from the dead. Help us in this hour, Father, show forth the resurrection. Help us demonstrate that Jesus came out of the grave. Lord, help us this morning see you high and lifted up with your train filling the temple. And Lord, when it comes to all these events uh, showing us how close we are to your return, we thank you for revelation. Thank you for insight. We thank you for help from the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us and lead us into all truth. So we thank you for great truth this morning that Jesus would be magnified. He would be glorified and he would be honored. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said amen. amen. You know, it's such a wild time. Just before the shutdown, you know, uh, I guess it was maybe March. I was in Corbin, Kentucky. A dear friend of mine pastors the church there. I had a word of knowledge that someone had palsy. And I called it out. Didn't think anything about it. I said, somebody here, you're getting healed of palsy. After the service, I just found this out the other day. After the service, uh, the pastor told me there was a woman there that had Bell's palsy. And she, the lady sitting next to her said, I think he's talking about you. Because what came on you just came on me. And the woman got healed of palsy. She called her pastor that, that night at 1230. He's a Baptist pastor. She called him at 1230 and she said, I know Jesus doesn't heal anymore, but I just got healed of palsy tonight. And he said, yeah, don't tell anybody, but I believe he heals too. Amen. <laughs> and I was in South Carolina just before the lockdown. I had a couple of words of knowledge at the end. I had a word of knowledge that someone had damage in their knees. Someone got healed of carpal tunnel syndrome. And I said, someone's here. You have damage inside the lining of your nose. Well, just called them out because I'd preached a long time on end time, so I was real in a hurry. Called it out. A couple minutes later, this guy came walking down, probably six foot eight, maybe seven foot tall. And he said, hey, can I say something? I was a little reluctant, like, oh, Lord, what am I doing, you know? And he goes, hey, I, I want to let you know I got both my arms got healed of, of carpal tunnel and my knees got healed. And my wife had just had brain surgery. They went up through her nose, but they severed the inside of her nose going up in there to do the surgery. She just texted me the inside of her nose is healed. So God's so cool, you don't even have to be in the room. I mean, He's just good. I could tell you, I could tell you thousands of stories where it's just like, oh, are you serious? That crazy to where He'll take care of things because He loves you. So what we'll get into about all the signs and how close we are is because He loves you so much. There's five things about end times. I don't want you troubled. don't want you deceived. He wants you happy, hopeful, and comforted. There is no bad news for the church. I watch a lot of guys on TV preach end times. Now, I don't know everything about it, but I got thrust into this years ago uh, having to preach end times in all the Bible schools all over the world. And it's like amazing that we do question and answer. They go, well, you said so-and-so. No, 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 I didn't say so-and-so. The Bible says so-and-so. So I'm a freak about if I can't have scripture and verse to back it up, I can't, I can't be bold about it. 
But once you get into it, there is no bad news for the church. A couple of little things about bad news that would be perilous times. Well, that's obvious we're in that right now. And it's other things that people have a lack of hunger. Well, in the midst of a lack of hunger, you're in church on Sunday morning. So you've pushed through the climate of the last days. The Bible said there'd be scoffers in the last days. So that's fulfilling scripture. People saying, oh, the Lord's not coming back. We've been hearing that all of our lives. So with that, let's go over to 2 Peter and we'll start there. Why would we get into the coming of the Lord? I've heard people say, why do we need to know this? Well, tell a quarterback in the last two minutes of the game not to look at the play clock. No, he, he looks at the play clock because time is crucial. You, you, you don't have time to make mistakes. At the beginning of the game, you can make mistakes, but at the end, you can't make mistakes. Every play uh, means something. So he's focused on that play clock because he has an urgency about him. Okay? So we get into this stuff to show us where we are so we accelerate. I've never seen the guy at the end of the race see the finish line go, well, I'm done. No, when he sees the finish line, he, he has a kick. He, he runs even faster. All the training was for right there. So we'll get into these things that show us how close we are because it's very, very blatant and very, very obvious. I mean, you think about the time we're in right now. It's really the Matthew 24, verse 8. Uh, Jesus said it'd be, it'd be times that would be so... <laughs> he called them birth pains in Matthew 24. That's the word contractions, labor pains. World War I, World War II, uh, the pandemic, the coronavirus. It's not the tribulation. It's a precursor to the tribulation. Well, when a woman goes into labor, you, you've seen a woman start having contractions. It takes over her body to where it doesn't matter what you're doing. You, you, those contractions take over. You can't ignore it. Jesus said there'd be things on the earth that you couldn't ignore. You couldn't ignore World War I. You couldn't ignore World War II. You couldn't ignore really this pan pandemic affected the whole earth. So these are wake-up calls for us that we're getting near that seven-year period called the tribulation. And we'll look at all the things that show us that we don't qualify to be here during that seven-year period. And we'll look at the good news is that we get to be raptured. There's a lot of weird preaching on the rapture, but it's good news. Paul wrote that to the church at Thessalonica so they'd be happy and hopeful and they'd be comforted. Doesn't bring you much comfort to think you have to go through hell for seven years. Amen. So let's look here at uh, 2 Peter, and we'll get into this. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 1, and we'll get into the signs here in a minute. We'll kind of have a lead up to the signs. How's that? Why would we get into this? Paul talked about the baptism 12 times, the coming of the Lord 52 times. For every one verse there is about the first coming of the Lord, eight times more about the second coming of the Lord. So it's more documented. Why? So we'd have a heads up. Why? So we would accelerate. Just as Pastor Tony said, we're going to do more in a short period of time than we ever dreamed. Isn't that amazing that God's given the baton to us? Kind of freaks me out, but anyway, He's given it to us to finish this thing off. I keep thinking, surely some other generation is going to come on the scene and do this. And it's like, no, it's you. So He's raised you up to be a voice and a witness of His goodness, His kindness, His mercy. In the Old Covenant, God sent forth prophets to pull Israel back because they had fallen away from their duties. So God sent prophets to bring them back to what they were called to do. In the New Testament, He brings the believer so you can be a voice. Isn't that something? You can be so filled with God that your voice can draw people to you. Hallelujah. Amen. So go here to 2 Peter. It takes a little bit to get there, but go to chapter 3 if you would. And these are such good verses. He says in chapter 3 of verse... 1, 2 Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Notice the tone there. It calls you his beloved. It calls you three times in this chapter his beloved. The tone changes from the Gospels 
to the epistles. Now, this is the most important thing we'll ever get out of end times preaching. And we'll get to it a little bit more as we go. We'll filter it through. If you get your end time doctrine just from the gospels, you'll feel like you don't qualify. Because you don't qualify. Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. And Jesus is talking to Jewish men there that are having to fulfill the law. For instance, in Luke 21, he said, Pray that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. I don't have to pray to be accounted worthy. I am worthy. He was talking to Jewish boys that weren't worthy yet because Jesus had been raised from the dead. So the rules change. But on TV, I watch guys put gospel rules on the church and it makes you feel like you don't qualify because you don't. Like the ten virgins. Well, if you don't have oil in your lamp, you're not going up. He's not talking to the church there. Okay, once you're in the body of Christ, you're Him. Would Jesus need oil in His lamp? Let me say that again. That's a lot. That's bouncing off a minute. Would Jesus need oil in His lamp? No, He wouldn't, would He? Well, you're Him. As He is, so are we in this world. You're part of His body. I might be the stupidest, most ill-advised, most witless, most brainless son, but I'm still a son. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for his blood that was shed for me. So, so I don't need oil in my lamp. And really the percentage there is exactly the percentage at the second coming. Half the people have gotten saved during the tribulation. Five of the virgins have oil in their lamp. The other five don't. At the second coming, 50% uh, of the earth is taken up. The other 50% is not. It's, it's the opposite of the rapture. The wicked are taken off the earth and the righteous are left. Man, I can't believe I started out with saying all that. Help me, Jesus. Let's get into some more stuff. Wow, let's go a little further. Just that word beloved makes you almost have to get everything straight because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not grading you, not critiquing you. He sees you with corrective lenses and they're stained with the blood of Jesus. So when it comes to end time preaching, he's not frustrated with you. He loves you. He says that you'd be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments and thus the apostles and Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, they'll come in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lust, hmm, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, that's kind of crept into the church. You hear people go, well, I've been hearing that all my life. Well, you've been hearing that all your life because he's coming. <laughs> So the, the, the mindset of the scoffers saying, ah, I've been hearing that. Well, my mom used to scare me as a kid. She'd say, in 1970, we heard Kenneth Hagin. And from 1970 through about 74, Jesus is coming tonight. I'm like, really? I mean, it freaked me out. You know that look your mom would have when those eyes would glaze over and that'd be that crazy look? The Lord's coming tonight. I go, is he really coming tonight? Well, I went to bed every night. Lord, I love you. You know, you can either respond with haughtiness or humility. It freaked me out. I thought the Lord was coming every single night. Well, you know what it does for you? It makes you sweeter. It makes you kinder. Can you imagine the Lord's coming tomorrow? Hey, what are you doing? No. Can you imagine acting like a rabid dog thinking you're about to see Jesus? If you had brains knowing you're about to meet God, it'd make you live different. It just does, it's kind of straightens. It fixes a lot of stuff. That's why the devil hates end-time preaching. It kind of makes you kind of uh, walk a straight line. <coughs> and the whole purpose for this, which I can't believe it's taken me so long to get into all this, but I will. It's just like when Colleen and, I got, Colleen and I got married, and I'm standing there, and she came walking down the aisle. Could you imagine if all of a sudden I'm standing there, and Colleen's walking down the aisle, we're getting ready to get married, and Colleen's walking down the aisle. Oh, my God, I'm getting ready to marry that guy. Another one bites the dust. No, I wouldn't want her walking down the aisle like that. Could you imagine her walking down the aisle? I'd be like, hey, what's, up? what's wrong? No, I want her expectant. I want her excited. I want her happy. I want her hopeful. Just like the Lord wants for you. He wants you blessed. He doesn't want you downtrodden just before you're about to meet him. 
I went to extremes to make sure Colleen was right there before just so that everything was right. The flowers are right. Everything's right. You want everything right. So end time preaching just wakes you up to go, I'm about to meet him face to face. I had a guy tell me, he said, Joe, if you preach on end times, you'll just get everybody's hopes up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. It's the hope that purifies you even as you're pure. So let's go a little further. Watch how the Lord says this so clear. He said they'd be scoffers. In the next verse, he said, This they're willingly ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So he, he says here, people didn't believe a change was coming when change came. The flood came, no one believed it. I would have loved to have seen the look on Noah's face, the urgency in his preaching. I guarantee you Noah didn't go, hey, is everybody all right? Is everybody cool? No, I bet Noah was screaming, get in the boat. And then all of a sudden you got all these animals showing up, you got something supernatural. I'd have been going, hmm, how in the world did he get two giraffes to walk and how in the world did he get two zebras? I can't even get my dog to jump in my truck, much less a whole group of animals to climb on a boat. I mean, it's like herding cats. Could you imagine? So, so Noah's preaching with such an urgency. Change came. No one believed him. Just like Peter saying, change, change is coming whether people believe it or not. And it's sad. Hollywood has more of a sense of change than the church. you got movies about zombies. you got movies about the walking dead because they sense a resurrection but don't know how to interpret it. There's a change coming. Jesus is about to come back to the planet. The flawlessness of the first coming, all the prophecies. Man, this is a ton of info, but we're going we're gonna to get rocking here, so just run with me. You guys are so sweet. Think of the prophecies of the first coming of the Lord. Nineteen specific ones. Amazing that they all came to pass like they did. Uh, it, it was prophesied he'd be born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. He'd be preceded by a messenger. He'd enter into Jerusalem on a colt. They'd gamble over his robe. He'd be given away for 35 pieces of silver. They'd pierce him in his side. He'd wear a crown of thorns. It would get dark in the middle of the day while he's on the cross. You know what the odds are? This is just math, just, just statistics, which if you ever had, in my statistics class that I was in for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and then I vacated it, I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. The guy could have been speaking Chinese. I'm like, is he speaking English? What is he talking about? But the odds of all those prophecies happening in, in one generation are 480 trillion times a billion times another trillion. It's 480 with 33 zeros. In science, after so many zeros, it's absurd to think that it happened by chance. It's impossible. It didn't happen by chance. God said it, came to pass. God said it, came to pass. So, so it's flawless how he did this. So with this, look at what he says in verse 17, and we're getting closer, getting closer to the science. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, calls you his beloved again, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before. He said, beware, lest you also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So he gives us a, a warning of caution. Uh, don't fall from your own steadfastness. While everybody else is freaking out, don't be moved. The word steadfast just means unmovable. Isn't it wonderful? Heaven's already spoke about what you look like. Daniel said you'd be strong, you'd know your God, and you would do exploits. So he sees you strong this morning. He sees you not falling from your steadfastness. All that means is you're not moved by what you see. You're not moved by what you feel. You're moved by what the Word says about you. Oh, come on. That's why we've heard the Word. There's a strength in you this morning. Pretty amazing. God's used the word, sowing the word, sowing the word, sowing the word, sowing the word, so that we laugh at impossibility. You mock lack. You mock disease because you're redeemed from the curse of the law. 
So he tells you, in this atmosphere, you could have a tendency to draw back a little bit. He says, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Make sure you don't fall from your own steadfastness. Talks about that in a lot of other verses in, in, in James as well. Waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He tells us to be patient, be stable. Patience, and this is what you don't hear a lot of preaching on end times. Woohoo, preacher Brother Joe, it's all over you. Think I'll do Elvis. Here we go. <laughs> patience and stability. That doesn't sound real cool, but patience and stability. Patience and stability. Patience and stability. That's what keeps us in position for double portion, what he was talking about there, about what Job got. All right, let's go look a little bit more because I want to get rocking. We've got a lot to get into. So let's buzz over to Isaiah and we'll look at one more thing why we get into this, and then we'll get to all the signs. And we'll run through them. But look at Isaiah 46. This is so cool. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Isaiah 46, look at verse 9. He says, Remember the former things of old. I'm God. There's none else. I'm God. There's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. This is so cool. <coughs> the Lord says, basically, this is how you can tell I'm God. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. That's why Satan hates prophecy, because it brings authenticity to the Bible. Okay? No other book can give you future. This is the only book that gives you future. You can talk to a Buddhist. You can talk to a Muslim. Their book doesn't give you future. Every other religion on the planet, their book doesn't give you future. This is the only one. Ezekiel prophesied the year Israel be reestablished. Gabriel told Daniel the year Jesus would come the first time. He came exactly as he said, flawless, because God's already been there, done that, made the t-shirt, amen? So let me read something to you. This is really cool. Uh, listen to the first ten names of guys in the Bible, and it shows you how, how cool the Word of God is. And this is a lot of info, so let's buzz through it for just a little bit, okay? Everybody with me? How many glad you came? How many glad you're here? You're not in jail. Come on, praise the Lord. All right, church is better than jail. Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. All right, Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enos means mortal, Canaan means sorrow, Mahiliel means the blessed God, Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah means his death brings, Lamech means despairing, and Noah means rest. Put them all together. Man is appointed mortal with sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death brings the despairing rest. Gives the entire plan of redemption with the first ten names of the guys in the Bible. It's amazing. It's flawless. If you get into all the stuff about it, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a worm in the Old Testament that secretes an enzyme that produces uh, scarlet red, and within a few seconds it turns white. Though your sins be red, they turn white as snow. I mean, the stuff about the Bible is absolutely mind-blowing how perfect it is. So God's already been there, done that, seen it. So when we get into end-time preaching... He's showing us a section of time of things that have been prophesied that are coming to pass all around us. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the ritual baths around the Temple Mount filled up with water. The rabbis were freaking out because they knew that just before the Messiah comes, those Temple baths would refill with water. Sea of Galilee filled up. The rabbi said, man, the Messiah is about to come. There were foxes on the Temple Mount. Lamentations 5.18. This is all happening in the last few weeks. There's many, many other things we'll get into, but it's one thing after another that it's like, holy cow, Jesus is about to come back. But let's go look at some exact, precise signs that are inarguable, that are flawless. Go over to Luke, and let's run through them. We'll go through them a bit, and uh, it'll bless us, it'll strengthen us, it'll encourage us, and it'll get us ready to accelerate. Hallelujah. 
The neat thing about this is we're about to see the king. Amen. We used to sing a song, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. I mean, the protocol to all of a sudden uh, to go from faith to sight is going to be amazing for all of us. To, to look at God himself, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amazing. I remember the first time I ever saw him, 1987, he appeared to me. He said, preach on the coming of the Lord. He stood right in my middle bedroom. I was praying a lot that year. And you know how you think of all the cool things you'd want to say to the Lord when you see him? Well, I'm bawling like a baby. I can't even function because I'm crying. So I'm like, because ah! he's so good, you can't handle it. He stands there and says, he tells me to preach on end times. This is what I said. I said, I don't want to preach on end times. He says, he said, it doesn't matter what you want to do, it's what you're supposed to do. So about three years later, I was staying up in Michigan, traveling kind of all over Grand Rapids and Lansing and different areas in Michigan. And I'd been preaching for like three years, but I'd kind of preach on end times, but not a lot. And I was staying in this buddy of mine's house. He and his wife had this office, had these walnut walls. And I would go pray in that office because it was a real cool room. I'm sitting in there praying, and I began to just sense the goodness of God, thinking, man, Lord, you're just too nice, too kind. All of a sudden, I looked up, and there's Jesus right there, and I'm bawling like a baby. White robe, olive green sash. Got his hands up against his back like this, leaned up against my buddy's desk, kind of like you kind of sit on your hands like that, just looked at me. I knew I hadn't preached on end times. <laughs> he didn't go, you're a loser. <laughs> no, he, he didn't have to. I knew I hadn't preached on it, and he just stood there and looked at me. Now, this is the look he gave me. He wasn't critiquing me, not judging me, not analyzing me, all love. Even though I hadn't done what he wanted me to do, uh, his goodness led me to repentance. That next church, I know, the, I know the pastor, I ran over the chairs preaching on the coming. I screamed going over the chairs, Jesus is coming. So there's some protocol to go from faith to sight that he wants us ready to meet him face to face. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to Luke and look at this stuff. Look how cool this stuff is. Look at Luke 21. And Jesus is going to tell us a few things that are super, super easy to understand. Luke 21, look at verse 24. Luke chapter 21, verse 24. This is so much good stuff, but we're going to zero in on some of it to get us through the, all the signs. We've got about 50 signs. We'll go through about maybe 10 to 12 today. We'll just see how, how far we go. Luke 21, verse 24. They'll fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down or overthrown of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. A lot was said in that verse. In 70 A.D., Jerusalem was overthrown. And Jesus goes, when you see the Jews get Jerusalem back, time's up. Well, in 1967, that happened. We called it the Six-Day War. Israel was completely surrounded by all these armies, by Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. And Israel won this war completely against all odds. I mean, supernatural. You can Google against all odds, and you can watch the interviews of the guys that were in the war. I mean, I've told you the story, but one of them was so cool. There were 88 Egyptian tanks barreling down on Israel. One Israeli uh, cook, he said, you know what? If I'm going to die, I'm going to go out in style. He jumps in a tank and figures out how to load the shells. Could you imagine trying to load the shells and fire a tank if you've never done that before? Well, you're baking cookies or baking pies. The next thing you know, you're firing shells. He climbs in the tank, figures out how to load the shells, and starts firing shells at the Egyptian army. 88 Egyptian tanks, one Israeli tank. Next thing you know, the Israeli, uh, the, the Egyptian commander comes out with a white flag and, go, and waves it and says, I'm here to surrender the highest ranking officer. And that Israeli tank guy, he's a cook, goes, highest ranking officer, it's just me. And he goes, oh no, it's not just you. The whole night the countryside was filled with tanks with men dressed in white. You've been shelling us all night and we can't take it anymore. 
So 88 Egyptian tanks surrendered to one Israeli tank. It's called a miracle. Six-day war. So, so time, we'll get into all the timing of it here in just a minute, but it was one jubilee from 1917 when Israel kind of got their land back. Exactly one jubilee, Jerusalem's won back. God's on a, a really flawless time clock. Now, that's pretty bold for Jesus to say that. That's bold to the Lord to go, oh, by the way, when this one thing happens, time's up. The battle of all battles of everything is going to be over Jerusalem. All about Jerusalem being won back. Remember, if you live west of Jerusalem, you read left to right. If you live east of Jerusalem, you read right to left. Everything goes back to that piece of real estate. Lucifer wants that spot where Jesus is going to reign forever. It's the original deal. Lucifer said, I'll ascend to the sides of the north. I'll be like him. And he still wants that. So he wants that location where Jesus is going to reign forever. You can go up on the Temple Mount and in the Dome of the Rock, it says in Arabic, there is no Son of God. There is no Son of God. There is no Son of God. Because there is a Son of God. His name's Jesus. Amen. And the devil's so stupid that he puts a mosque everywhere the Lord did something important. There's a mosque right there. What happened there? That's where Jesus was raised from the dead. There's a mosque there. What happened right there? That's where he was beaten. There's a mosque there. What happened? That's where the ascension was. Everywhere Jesus did something cool, the devil put a mosque there. So all it does is give you a tour guide. He goes, something cool happened there, something cool happened there, something cool happened there. So everything, the Bible says, Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling for all nations. So you watch, even right now, with what's happening with the West Bank, Israel's getting ready to add Judea and Samaria. The EU this last week said, oh, we got to make sure that doesn't happen. The devil's freaked out over the borders that were won in 1967 in the Six-Day War. Everything will come up about this as we get closer to the second coming about the borders from the Six-Day War. The EU's already said, we're going to sanction you and we won't let you do it because of what happened in 1967 in that Six-Day War. So let's go a little further. Watch Jesus get even clearer. Are you with me? Let's buzz through this. Look at verse 29. Jesus says here, look at the fig tree and all the trees. The fig tree is the nation of Israel. That'll be your timepiece. He said, look at Israel and all the trees, the prophetic nations around Israel. When they now shoot forth or bud, you see and know of your own selves that summer our harvest is nigh at hand. How, how amazing is that? And I like the next verse here. Likewise, just as bold as you are when you see the trees begin to turn, when you see Israel made a nation, you can tell something's up. I mean, how many of you this spring, when you went from uh, 30 degrees and 40 mile an hour winds at, at Easter, all of a sudden the trees begin to bud, and all of a sudden you know there's a temperature change. No one has to tell you summer's coming. The, the trees are communicating to you summer's coming. Jesus said, likewise, in the same manner, the trees are communicating a temperature change. When Israel's reestablished and made a nation, you know something's up. And watch how clear he is. He tells you what's up. He says, likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know. When you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Now, you ready? Buckle up. Look at verse 32. Verily I say unto you, this generation. What generation? The one that sees the fig tree bud in Jerusalem one back. You see these things. This generation shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. However you look at it, it's us, whether we like it or not. I hear people say, well, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. It don't matter. <laughs> I hear people go, I don't like that. It don't matter. He basically said, if you, if you see these two things happen, you tag, you're it. All right, now that, that's pretty bold, but, but there's about 50. 
The two main ones are Israel made a nation, Jerusalem won back. We got that. We figured that out. Okay, those have happened in our lifetime. Amazing. I mean, you think of, just think of how blessed we are. 1917. Think of this. There's a movie. I just watched it the other night about World War I. What happened in 1917? An Australian general named Allenby came into the land of Israel. They passed out flyers everywhere. Allenby's coming. Allenby's coming. They didn't know what it meant. In Arabic, his name meant a prophet sent from God to deliver you your land. The Turks so freaked out, they said, well, we can't fight against God. Dropped their weapons, and Israel got their land back in 1917. Something else happened in 1917. Kenneth Hagin was born. Think about the Lord appearing to his mother. I love this stuff. How crazy is this? The Lord appears to his mother and tells, him to na- tells her to name him John. She goes, I don't like the name John. I'm going to name him Kenneth. <laughs> How crazy is that? Uh, yeah, whatever, Lord. You're glowing and all that. That's cool, but we're, I'm going to name him John. I'm going to name him Kenneth. I'm sorry. And the Lord told his mother that he wouldn't do everything, but he would have a part in getting the earth ready for the second coming of the Lord. Man, I've preached in Rama, Australia, Rama, Italy, Rama, Germany, Rama, Norway, Rama, France. Name a country that Kenneth Hagin's message hasn't gotten to without any fanfare whatsoever. Sowing the word. Zero fanfare. He's gotten the earth ready for the second coming. There's a woman in Mark Brzee's church in Tulsa where I attend. And uh, she's this real sweet lady. I don't know her real well, but she died a few years ago, I guess. And they resuscitated her. And she came back and was in heaven talking to Jesus. And she saw Brother Hagin. She goes, look, there's Kenneth Hagin. And, and the Lord said, you mean John? <laughs> so if your name's supposed to be John, it's supposed to be John, okay? But you know what Hagin means? You know what Hagin means in the Hebrew? One to go before to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. So we're... Names mean something, and remember that when we get to some stuff at the end of the service today. Names are a big deal. We'll get to some of the signs about Israel right now. So, so we're blessed. How blessed are we for the Lord to go, okay, when you see Jerusalem won back, you see Israel made a nation, that group won't pass away to all is fulfilled. He said, I'm telling you this so that you can know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Didn't say sense, didn't say perceive, didn't say wonder, you could know it. This teaching is so you can know why. I've never seen a runner at the end of the race go, I don't know if I'm at the end. Really? There's the finish line. Have you ever seen a runner just kind of start questioning it? Well, is that really the finish line? I've never seen a finish line like that. That's the weirdest finish line I've ever seen. No, you don't critique it. You accelerate so you can win. You know, my daughter, Lauren, she's married now, has a grand, I have a grandson, getting ready to have another granddaughter. But in high school, she ran cross country, and uh, 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 I would train with her. On my motorcycle. I was right there by her. You're doing a good alarm. And, uh, and I would be just as tired as she was. She ran six miles. I'm riding. But, but she trained so hard so that in the race she wouldn't get fatigued. So she, she trained so much that the, the, the cross-country races were no big deal. But every cross-country race, I got to be at almost every single one of them. I'd be there at the first mile marker. She'd come running up. She'd go, how far, Daddy? How far, Daddy? Lauren, you got two more miles. I'd cut across the field, go to the next mile marker. She'd come running up. How far, Daddy? How far, Daddy? Lauren, you got a whole other mile. You can do it. Pace yourself. By the time I got to the last marker, she could see the finish line. She wouldn't say anything to me. She saw the finish line, and her, her face changed. All that training was for right there. Like, that's it, man. I can do that. I'm screaming at her, run, Lauren, run. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> so, so all of this is to make you change how you're doing things. You don't fit church into your life. It is your life. We'll get into more of that in the next couple of nights. You're going to be wearing clothing with stitching on it that's contrasting on your robe, indicative of you going to church when nobody else went to church. 
People are going to look at your robe and go, you went on Wednesday nights? Wow. So they got quiet when I said that. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Start the car. I'll be right there. Here we go. Come on. All right, let's go through the signs. They're so cool and they're so easy to understand. Number one, Israel made a nation. Number two, Jerusalem won back. Jesus said the group that sees those, you're it. So those are the two main signs. Let's go on to some more. The next one would be the Hebrew language restored. You should Google it. Never has there been a language lost like that and recovered happen in your lifetime. You can go there. They don't speak Hittite. They don't speak Amorite. They don't speak Canaanite. They speak Hebrew. Because God said just before the coming of the Messiah, I'll re return that language. 100, 110, 115 years ago, no one spoke Hebrew. Now everyone speaks Hebrew there. Never has there been a language lost and recovered like that ever in history happen in your lifetime. Because God said it. So you got the language restored. Pretty amazing. After that, you've got the, uh, the Ethiopian Jews brought back. 18,000 airlifted in one day. Because God said just before the coming of the Lord, He'd bring them out of Ethiopia. They, Israel sent C-130s right down into Ethiopia, airlifted 18,000 out. It's the first time ever that airplanes, their, their manifest was 180, and when they landed it was 187. Wait a minute, how'd you gain people? Ladies were having babies on those planes. Chuck Roberts on CNN, listen to this, CNN headline news. He said, an exodus that eclipses the book of Exodus. Listen, when CNN's preaching about what the Lord's doing, you better lift up your head, the Lord's coming back. <laughs> Trust me, he, he preached an exodus that eclipses the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus was a pretty good exodus. I mean, the waters were congealed, they walked over on dry ground, and CNN said this eclipses that. Wow, because God's doing things just before Jesus comes, trying to get everybody's attention. He said it, brought it to pass. All right, after the Ethiopian Jews were brought, many reasons about that, but we'll just keep moving. After that, you have the revival of the Roman Empire happened in our lifetime. They said we felt like Romans on that day. Why is that a big deal? That's the platform for the Antichrist. You can, you can look at the money in the EU. It has the woman from the book of Revelation on it. This is the crazy one. You should Google it today. Please do. Look at their capital building, the EU's capital building. It's in Strasbourg, France. It's not similar to the Tower of Babel. It's identical to the Tower of Babel. <laughs> Their saying is basically, we're, we're making gods of ourselves. We don't need God. It's terrible. The markings on the inside of the building are all from Nebuchadnezzar. The art out in front of the building is a molecule of iron, magnified, because Daniel saw iron and clay. So you can tangibly look. I mean, it freaks me out when you put them side by side. I have it on my phone. You put them side by side. Wow. They meant to do this. But they were rebuilding this system that we don't need the Lord. The Pope said even two weeks ago, we're ready for one world authority, one world monetary system, and one world religion. There's all this pressure being put on everyone. Look how the Antichrist will come on the scene and go, we're going to have a reset for every economy, but you've got to use our money. Amazing how the world's set up for this because people want a reset. They want, they want things to be brought back to, to neutral and, to, from, and from where it is to zero. So that's pretty amazing that all those things have happened. Well, there's a bunch more we'll get into there, but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, that was pretty cool about the revival of the Roman Empire. All right, let's look at the next one. This one's cool. It preaches to you. The fertility of the land of Israel. 120 years ago, Mark Twain was there. He said the land is so desolate it won't support life. Yet Israel produces 90% of the fruit for all of Europe. 
Think if you ate an apple this morning, it's made in New Jersey. Eat a banana, made in New Jersey. Eat a pear, made in New Jersey. You go, man, what's up with New Jersey? Israel's the size of New Jersey and produces 90% of the fruit for a continent. Something's cool about the dirt. Let me just tell you, that means it overproduces. You can go up on the border of the Golan Heights, which is northern Israel, and there's a Russian base and an Iranian base right there within three kilometers of the border, but you don't have to have anyone tell you where the border is. It's lush green grass, and then it's brown dirt right there. I tell my buddy that works for, used to work for Ariel Sharon, I said, dude, do you guys sprinkler that? Do you use Scott Super Turf Builder? To get my grass to look like that, i got to use Scott Super Turf Builder four times a year. And I even called Scott's and said, you guys have detuned your fertilizer. It won't turn my grass green anymore. She said, that's right. We detuned it because it was too strong. I said, no, I need that strength to make my grass look right. Israel's grass looks like that with nothing put on it because God said, I'll make the land blessed and prosperous. It preaches. You can go to the cornfields and they're surrounded by roses. I'm like, why would you decorate the cornfields? That's so weird. The insects will go to the roses before they'll go to the corn. Pretty crazy how, how Israel has more trees than any nation that's on the earth. That Lord showed them how to put a tray system underneath the trees makes them grow. Since they've been keeping count, Israel's number one. So God did these things to communicate to the earth, I have a covenant with Israel. And Satan hates them so much that he killed six million Jews just before Israel was reestablished. The devil thought, if I, can just, if I can annihilate them, I'll stop the word of God from coming to pass. But he couldn't do it, did he? Come on. Israel's regathered in our lifetime, 1948. Woo! Man, I don't preach enough on that as I should. You should go into a whole deal how miraculous that is that they were regathered. So that's amazing. Then you got to the fertility land of Israel. Let's go through some more because there's some real cool ones that have happened just recently. But I want to buzz through some of the rest of the other ones so we don't miss them. All right, the next one is the Temple Mount Institute. It's a group of, of Jewish men. Their last name's Cohen. just means priest. Okay, they, For 25 to 30 years now, I think I've been there maybe seven or eight times, there's an institute in the old city of Jerusalem. They have all the instruments ready for sacrifice. Their, their, their last name means Cohen, means priest. They're ready to do their priestly duties. This, this last Easter, this last April at Passover, the Sanhedrin met with Benjamin Netanyahu and asked them if they could do sacrifices. Well, they couldn't. They did a sacrifice on the edge of the Temple Mount. The police let them. The, the new chief of police in Jerusalem, he's pushing to let them use the Temple Mount. The year before, they got arrested for doing this. This last year, they did not. They, listen to this. They have a makeshift uh, uh, altar in the back of a truck. They back that truck up, take the altar out. They get all those guys that have been doing all the purifications. They get all ready, and I watched them cut the throat of that lamb right there. The innocence of that lamb was just like Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. Those guys are ready. In other words, okay, they're in position. Now, now hang with me on that for a minute. Uh, this is another one. Ezekiel prophesied there'd be fish in the Dead Sea. Guess when they showed up? Last year. So we know right after the rapture of the church, uh, it's Ezekiel 38 war. We'll get into that some of that Monday night. Russia's going to come down on Israel. Well, this is a sign. Guess where Russia is? Russia has nine bases in Syria. Russia took over Crimea. Russia's in the Ukraine. Russia's all over Syria on Israel's border. Russia dropped off two squadrons of MiG-29s in Libya last week. Russia dropped off two more squadrons in Syria of MiG-29s last week. Why does Syria need MiGs? 
because Russia is going to come down on Israel. I'm saying that because I want you to get this. Fish are in position. <laughs> Russia's in position. The Temple Mount Institute's in position. What's the church doing? If God can get all these other groups in place that aren't even saved, how much more us? Because we have a witness in our spirit. Get ready. Get, get, get rocking. This is it. This is your window of opportunity to do the will of God. I mean, how many signs does it take for, for we do this? So this, this is pretty radical. There, there's many more, and then we'll talk about the ones that I mentioned a while ago. You had foxes show up about maybe four months ago on the Temple Mount. It was on the front page of the Jerusalem Post. Now hang with me. Israel's very secular. They're not like we, we think because of God being in Israel, you know, it's all, they're all on fire for God. No, Israel's super secular, just like America's trying to be. So they're not into promoting stuff about the Messiah coming. Front page of the Jerusalem Post. Foxes on the Temple Mount. Lamentations 5.18 says, When the Temple Mount's so desolate, it's time for the Messiah. The, front, the Jerusalem Post is super secular. And they're talking about the coming of the Messiah. That's pretty radical. All right, this is another one we'll get into because they're all so, uh, they're so complex. But I, I want to get them. From, I love that we have, we have tonight and tomorrow night and the next night. We'll get into all of it. There was a, a, a rabbi named uh, Ixot Kaduri. Died at 105 years old, lived a full life. Jesus appeared to him before he died, and he accepted Jesus as his Messiah. How cool is that? So he didn't go to hell. And he told them, after a year after I'm uh, gone home, uh, open the letter up. They opened the letter up a year after, and he said, I've come to find that Jesus is the Messiah, and went through showing how he fulfilled all the feasts and all that. And they all freaked out because, I mean, the, the, the rabbis were like, this is the rabbi of all rabbis. He also prophesied, they got into all his writings, he prophesied about right before the coming of the Lord that Israel, right before the Messiah would come, Israel would be ruled by two Benjamins. When did that happen? Three weeks ago. Benjamin Netanyahu and Benjamin Gantz decided to jointly rule Israel because they couldn't put together a coalition. That's why I'm saying names are a big deal. Kenneth Hagin, and here you got Benjamin Netanyahu, Benjamin Gantz ruling Israel. All right, you got the ritual baths got filled up with water. Now this is, gosh, I, I want to get into detail about this because I got to keep moving. To me, signs. Help me, Jesus. The ritual baths filled up with water, and the rabbi said, it's time for the Messiah. <coughs> the two Benjamins ruling Israel, time for the Messiah. The problem is there's a false Messiah coming first for them that they're going to fall for, and that's the Antichrist. When they say it's time for the Messiah, they're actually going to fall for the Antichrist because the Messiah is not coming until the second coming. So what's sad is, is Israel gets hoodwinked into thinking this guy's the Messiah. Then halfway through the trip, he comes into the temple and goes, I'm God. And it's an uh-oh moment for the whole nation. Who they thought was the Messiah is really the devil. So you're watching the setup for that right now. Pretty crazy. All right, let's go through some of the others. This is a really cool one. Uh, the Animal Planet Channel, a few years ago I was watching. And an Israeli ornithologist came on there. And she said, it's the largest gathering of predatory birds ever in history. Uh, and I'm, I, man, I perked up because uh, my brother was an ornithologist. That's a bird specialist. He went to college for nine years to study birds. <laughs> my dad asked him, what did you learn? He said, I learned how to play poker. <laughs> and that's sad. Nine years of college to play poker. But anyway, studying birds for nine years. This ornithologist says, we don't, she, there was the look on her face was like, we don't understand this. Uh, there's a gathering of 172 different species of predatory birds. Largest gathering ever in history. Why? Right after the rapture, you have the Ezekiel 38 war. God calls on the fowl of the air to come clean the land up. Seven years later at the Battle of Armageddon, he calls on the fowl of the air again to come clean the land up. So you got the cleanup crew in Israel. 
So you got Russia in position, Temple Mount Institute in position, birds in position, fish in position, foxes in position. <laughs> you got all these groups of animals all in place. Why? Jesus is about to come back. Now, these are signs of the second coming. We know the rapture seven or eight years before that, so the rapture is signless, but the second coming has sign after sign after sign after sign. All of these signs are here, really, uh, for Israel because they need a sign. I don't need a sign. i got a witness. i got the Holy Ghost in me going, man, there, there's an urgency in me going, Jesus is about to come back. So these are some radical signs. Men will be lovers themselves. We have selfie sticks. I was in Los Angeles last year. A guy was walking down the road, had two selfie sticks, almost got hit by a car. I mean, have you ever thought of a time when we'd be so obsessed with taking photographs of ourselves? I mean, I got friends, they can't move a muscle without taking a picture. Poof, 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 poof. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> so that's a sign in itself. Amen. Praise the Lord. So there's many, many more. So let's, let's jump over to signals for a minute because I want to go back to Matthew 24 here in a minute, but just hang with Everybody okay? We're, I know I'm going a little bit longer. We'll, 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 we'll wind her down here in a little bit. Pastor Tony said, go as long as you need to go. So we're, pizza will be here at noon and we'll break and come back. <laughs> just kidding, praise the Lord. <laughs> so you have all these tangible things you can look at. How sweet of the Lord to give us signs. Why would we talk about that? Why would that be a big deal? You know, if you're driving from Des Moines over to Omaha, I don't know how many miles that might be, maybe 230, maybe something like that, 250. How many is it? About 200. 200. Well, if you're driving from, from Des Moines to Omaha and the sign says 200 miles, the next sign says 175, the next sign says 150, the next sign says 120, the next sign says 80, then it says 50, you know you're heading toward Omaha. You don't freak out. You don't go, I'm never going to make it. No, the signs tell you you're headed closer to Omaha. And then once you get into Omaha, you don't need signs. You've got signals. You've got traffic signals telling you that you're in town. Now, in the, in, in right now, you've gone from signs to signals. I mean, there's signals. And, and what, what those are are the blood red moons. I mean, it's pretty radical in 2014, 2015, you had four in a row. So amazing, NASA called it a tetrad, blood red moons. I heard people go, well, nothing happened. Those are, those are indicators, just like when you turn your blinker on, you're indicating you're about to turn. When you turn your blinker on, you don't turn, you're about to turn. I remember I was preaching on it for about maybe three or four years beforehand, and I had these big posters up on the wall behind me that showed the blood red moons and the exact dates and all that. It was pretty cool, it was real visual, easy to understand. John Hagee had something like that. It made it super easy to get, you know. Well, I'd been preaching on it for a few years, and I guess the first blood red moon in 2014, I was in um, Grosbeck, Texas, maybe right before that, about a month before. I was praying in tongues in my hotel room, just walking the floor, raised some manakia. We didn't feel like praying. I just make myself pray. And I started praying out April to see, April to see, April to see, April to see. I started calling people, man, what's going What's going, Man, is anything, you guys got an unction about April? Now, I've been preaching about the blood red moon starting in April for five years or so. And I start praying out April to see, April to see. All right, so Colleen and I on that first blood red moon there, you know, in April of that year, got out in the backyard in Tulsa. It was cold that night. Man, all of a sudden, there goes the moon, turns white, turns blood red. The Lord goes, I told you you'd see in April. I said, that's what you were talking about? He said, I made the moon turn blood red on the day my son was beaten and killed for you. So I preach it and still want more fanfare. We have a tendency to want fanfare. I'm saying that because God's given us sign after sign after sign. So this is a pretty big deal. 
Blood red moves on Passover, tabernacles. Passover is when he died for us. Tabernacles is when he's going to come back and tabernacle with men. So the heavens are going, I died for you, I'm coming back. <laughs> I died for you, coming back. When's the last time you had four in a row on Passover and tabernacles? When's the last time? 1967, when Jerusalem was won back. 1948, when Israel's made a nation. 1492, at the Edict of Expulsion, when the Jews were kicked out of Spain. Why? God raised up Christopher Columbus in 1992. He sailed the ocean blue for America to be a safe harbor for the Jews. That's why Iran says we have to kill Satan, Israel, and the great Satan, America. Doesn't say anything about Switzerland. Doesn't say anything about Germany. Doesn't say anything about Brazil. Got to kill Israel and America. Because America was the biggest harbor for Jews in the whole of earth just to get ready for them to come back to their homeland. So you got blood red moons on those exact dates. Kind of radical. The gap between the last two were 19 years and 48. I told the Lord, you're just showing off now in 1948. Come on. So that's pretty blatant. Let's talk about a few more signals. Remember, the Bible says in Genesis that the planets would be for signals for us. We, it says in the Bible the word signs, but in the Hebrew it's the word signals. Let's talk about the Bethlehem star. Let's go a little bit further, then we'll close. Hang with me. Bethlehem star, pretty radical. Don't hear a lot of preaching on it. But when Jesus was born, the Magi came from Iraq, uh, uh, from really Daniel's school of prophets. They came from there to see the birth of a king. The stars told them. They didn't have an internet, didn't have TV, so they laid out on the top of their places, and they, they knew the stars. So three different planets came together at his birth. Uh, Jupiter, king planet. Regulus, regal, king planet. Venus, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Venus is a mother planet. All three, three of them came together at one time. <laughs> Could you imagine the Magi riding on camels for 500-something miles to see this? You know, my buddies and I, when we do motorcycle rides, if I told them we're going to do a 500-mile ride and then you're going to see these stars come together, they'd be telling me, dude, it better be over the top. This is a long ride. So the Magi get there. They go from Iraq all the way to Bethlehem, and there, there, there Jesus is born. The constellation was Virgo. Those three planets came together. Last year, NBC Nightly News, Lester Holt, so we have a celestial event, Jupiter, Regulus, Venus, Bethlehem star. First time in 2,000 years. Happened in your lifetime. Not just in your lifetime, last year. What was the constellation? Virgo. He's, uh, not, not Virgo, Leo. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. First time it was Virgo. There's so many more things you could get into that coincided with exact dates about Israel that it's just freaky. I mean, every time those happen, I just kind of go, I, 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 I go, man, this is blatant. Then you had Mercury do a flyby of the sun. Happens five times in a century. Went down directly over the Temple Mount. The moon formed a sickle. The planets formed a sickle. Orion changed his instrument to hammer. You had hammer and sickle on the same day. That's, what's that? Russia's symbol. See, Israel's getting ready to go through the threshing floor. See, we, we think of the tribulation as horrible. It is, but the tribulation is to get Israel to accept Jesus as their Messiah. He's going to present himself to his brethren just like Joseph did. But there's a seven-year period of pressure on them to get them to receive Jesus. I don't need to be here because I've already received him. You know, in high school, I talk about this, uh, the, the world's getting ready for fireworks, seven years of fireworks. In high school, every date I went on, I'd pull over in the same spot, and I'd go out in my back of my car, and I'd pull out Roman candles, and I'd fire off fireworks. So I'd say to the girls, you can't say you didn't go out, and me didn't see fireworks. <laughs> I didn't do it once, I did it over and over and over again. You do whatever you need to do, okay? So God's so sweet and so merciful, He's going to have fireworks for seven years. 
So when you have, you have the symbol of Russia being shown for you in the heavens, uh, the Lord's trying to tell Israel, Russia is about to attack you. And we know that's getting ready to happen, so we'll get into that later. All right, this next, uh, this next seg- signal, then we'll, we'll, we'll shut her down. Hang with me. Okay, th- don't shoot the messenger, okay? Everybody say, uh, this is not Joe's idea, this is just facts, okay? All right, President Trump. You think about President Trump. This last couple of Januarys ago was his midterm of his presidency, the January 21st. You know what happened that day? It was a blood moon, wolf moon, super moon. When Trump was born, it was a blood red moon. 700 days later, Israel was made a nation. When Trump was elected president, Benjamin Netanyahu had been in office seven years, seven months, seven days. When Trump was inaugurated, he was 70 years old, seven months, seven days. Okay? Uh, Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem after how many years? 70 years. All right? We know that the Lord's coming back on Feast of Trumpets. We'll prove that out tonight. If you'll come back tonight, we can tell he's going to fulfill that feast. Those are dress rehearsals, and that's the next one on the calendar. So we know it'll be Feast of Trumpets. When you say our president's name and our vice president's name, you're saying the coming of the Lord. Trump. Pence. Trumpets. Our president's name and our vice president's name means the coming of the Lord. Yeah, you talk about crazy. I mean, who would? I mean, how nuts is that to have your president and vice president mean the coming of the Lord? Trumpets. Well, you know, I don't understand everything. Don't even plan to understand everything, but I understand this. I, I, how many signs does it take to go, the Lord's about to come back? <laughs> I mean, it's like, seriously? I mean, and, you know, uh, and who would have picked a man like Trump? I mean, like a bull in a china closet. I mean, seriously. Flawed, crazy, nuts, but I guess it took somebody crazy to do the stuff that had to be. I don't, I don't know, don't care. I just know I'm supposed to pray for him. I, I prayed for Obama. I prayed for Clinton. I prayed for Bush. I'll play for Trump because the Bible tells me to. I hear all these Christians freaked out about the president. I prayed for Obama. I didn't agree with Obama. I didn't agree with Clinton. I didn't agree with President Carter. President Carter calls Israel apartheid. Crazy. Still prayed for him. Need more prayer than ever. (laughs) All right, so those are some pretty big signals. (laughs) It's kind of like, hello. I mean, then you have Israel ruled by two Benjamins, America ruled by their president's name, mean the coming of the Lord. Who would have told us that five, 20 20 years ago? Oh, by the way, right before Jesus comes, the names of the president of the U.S. are going to be Jesus is coming. Crazy. So what what do we do as a believer? It's all hands on deck. All hands on deck. I don't fit church into my life. It is my life. Not like I'm obsessed to say you have to be in church. You're changed into His image from glory to glory. Every service you get in, there's a reflective change. The Word is that mirror you look into, and all of a sudden you become more and more like Him. So think about it. I, I'm, I'm closing right now, but think about it. If you thought Jesus was coming this week, you'd be kinder and sweeter to everybody. you go, hey, you're doing all right? There'd be an unselfishness. There'd be a thoughtfulness. My word for the last day church is thoughtful. It's not rocket science. Think for others. Be a blessing. Now, the whole reason I'm preaching on this is 10.09. I preached a long time. This is a long long ways to preach. We'll come back for second service, then we'll come back tonight. And I'll do a singing service in the parking lot (laughs) that no one can hear. (laughs) Now, the whole whole purpose of all this is because He loves you. He literally, literally loves you so much. and He wants you expectant. He wants you hopeful. He wants you excited. He wants, you just, he wants you blissful, thinking, man, I'm about to see him. Everything about him, so you lift up your heads. 
He said, when you see these things, make sure you're not downtrodden. Lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh. So you might be here this morning, you may have been going through hell. Come on, speak the word over it, rebuke it. Use your authority, use your dominion. Speak to it, and then get that joy about you because you're about to see Jesus. Then how many of you are excited the night for your wedding? If you weren't, you might have made a mistake. I don't mean to be honest. <laughs> I, would think, I would think you'd be excited. You know, even the day of our wedding, uh, Colleen, you know, she had all her friends there in the house. Uh, the makeup people are there putting their makeup on, you know. I had my best man take Colleen a gift from Tiffany's, just a little uh, bracelet, you know, in that little blue box. I had my best friend take that to her while they were getting ready. And then I had my buddy playing the piano out in the backyard, the songs that she wants. So it would bless her that day. If I think like that, think how much the Lord thinks like that for you. He loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this season that we happen to be in your family just before God comes to the planet. Father, what you've given Pastor Tony and Pastor Jeanette for this church, Lord, there's, there's a season of the glory of God, a season of great grace upon the church, a season of, of you amplifying their voice, Lord, that all of Nebraska, all of Omaha, this whole region would hear of your kindness and your goodness. So, Jesus, we surrender our hearts knowing you're about to return. We honor you, we magnify you, and we love you. In Jesus' wonderful name, everybody said amen. amen. You know, real, real quick, I, uh, I preached a long time. Anybody here never given their life to the Lord? I know we're mostly family. Don't want to miss anybody. Maybe you came today and never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're watching uh, by live stream and you've never asked him into your heart. It's not complicated. It's just accepting him as your Savior. Adam messed up, Jesus fixed it. And you can accept that fix. Say, come into my heart. Anyone at all, real quick, with the uplift hand, say, that's me. Pray for me. I'd like to ask him into my heart. I don't want to take anything for granted. Man, anyone at all. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll pray for you. Please don't be embarrassed. Anyone at all. All right, looks like everybody's saved. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Exciting days ahead. We're going to come back tonight and get into the seven sins of Sapphira. No, just kidding. We're not doing that. We're going to get into the rapture of the church. We'll get into uh, the Zika 38 war. We'll get into the millennium. Some of the coolest stuff we can ever get into. It shows us what's coming. We're so, so blessed. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you tonight.